Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Joy Kiefer, who will share her late son's journey through TBI after three tours of duty. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology Center for Brain Health, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, came out in 2015. And I'm excited to announce that my Kickstarter For my next book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, is live on Kickstarter right now for funding. So you can find out more about my Kickstarter and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com. And also be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I've co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, my guest is Joy Kiefer, and Joy is a lifelong educator and worked in education until she retired in 2015 to care for and serve as guardian of her son who had sustained a traumatic brain injury. She's currently employed at the employment service, as the Employment Services Manager in the Twin Cities for MindShift, a 501c3, providing sustaining employment for individuals on the autism spectrum. She has two remaining children, Erica Ash Gibson in Kentucky and Connor Martin, a student at Marion University in Wisconsin. Her son, Kevin Ash, passed away January 15th in 2017 from complications due to chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, as a result from exposures to blasts during his three tours of duty in Iraq from 2003 to 2012. Welcome to the podcast, Joy. I am so happy to have you here. Thanks, Amy. Um, I, uh, you know, this is a really uh, emotional time of our life because we are quickly approaching the um, first anniversary of Kevin's death and his experience, to be able to share his experience with you and the listeners is um, a wonderful legacy, and I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. And I just want to make sure our listeners know that you were on um, CBS's 60 Minutes this past Sunday. Um, You were in a segment highlighting CTE in Iraq veterans. 
Um, and I will be sure to get that link in the show notes so people can check that out. And I just, I have so much, you know, pride for you, um, for being able to do that 60 minute interview and, you know, just, just raising the awareness of what's happening with CTE in our vets. Um, you know, I think they're far too often overlooked and I'm so happy to see that you are using his legacy to, to shed some light on this. So I, I really Thanks. applaud you for all that you're doing. Thanks. Um, the, the Kevin's story is just a story of a normal, uh, average Minnesota guy who enlisted after 9-11 and uh, chose to serve his country through the Army National Guard. Uh, he worked with he was with the Red Bulls. He was in the infantry. He went to boot camp in 2002 and uh, was deployed immediately out of boot camp. He came home for a couple of months and then was off to Kosovo, where he was a part of police action. Um, he was there for not very long, a couple of months. I got a phone call at 4 in the morning. No mom wants to get that. And he said, Mom, uh, I just want to let you know I'm okay. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, there was a, um, a riot in a sector, and his unit was called up to help gain control in that particular sector. So from the, you know, within a couple of months of his boots on ground, he was in um, full combat gear for pretty much the remainder of that deployment. Um, he came back, and uh, within uh, not very long, another year, he was deployed again in 2005 through 2007 in Iraq with the Red Bull um, largest contingency that was deployed. They were a very um, tight group, and uh, he suffered many, many IED exposures. And um, it was a 15-month actual deployment, and boots on ground was, uh, just under a year, I think 11 months and some odd days. So when he came back from that deployment, uh, things were not good for him. He was having blackouts. He was having um, some symptoms of anxiety, depression, and he was worried about it. Uh, but he did what a lot of guys do, and that was basically toughed it out and uh, ended up being deployed again a third time. His third deployment, he was in 2011, and he uh, served in, uh, based out of Kuwait, but his unit uh, escorted the troops and the troop drawdown and had more exposures, but things didn't go well for him. Uh, he ended up being medically evacuated out um, about six months into the tour, and he spent his last remaining months in El Paso, Texas, in the, uh, first at William Beaumont Hospital and then uh, in the Warrior Transition Unit and um, did complete that, um, that evaluation. And uh, there were some negotiations, I think, that went on, but he ended up having an honorable discharge. But his life was not good. It still was a very difficult time for him and of course we did not his family we did not know what was going on other than he'd had these deployments 
So um, I'm going to interrupt you really quick. I, I have a question. So, you know, you said mm-hmm. he, he had anxiety and, and, you know, other symptoms. Um, did anybody, first of all, did he go see a doctor at all? And secondly, yeah, did anyone have any indication that he was suffering from, you know, traumatic brain injury? No, um, he did. He did go see a doctor, and he did attempt to um, gain some service connection for brain injury, but it was denied. And so wow. they they said, "No, you don't have brain injury." And no, you don't actually have PTSD. You have symptoms, but you're missing some of the criteria. So that was oh, in 2009 wow. that his, his uh, claim was denied. And so he said, okay, fine. I don't have a brain injury, I guess. And I don't have PTSD, I guess. So carry on. And he took the third deployment. When he was evaluated in Texas, that was the same result, too. No, you don't have a brain injury, and you have PTSD symptoms, but you don't have PTSD. And um, I think that's one of the confusing things about uh, CTE is it looks a lot like PTSD, and there are probably some elements that are similar, but um, it isn't exactly PTSD because it's a brain injury. Right. And, and PTSD is one symptom of a brain injury, right? So, I mean, like, I get it that it's really deep and complicated, but it kind of blows my mind how dismissive doctors truly are with, with these things. Right. And so, you know, so he did, he accepted the third deployment and um, things rapidly deteriorated for him and he ended up being evac'd out, which um, he, he became suicidal. And what happened was our family, he, st- he wouldn't talk to me at this point because I was very much encouraging him to, to investigate uh, what we were saying, seeing as suicidal ideation, which is also a symptom, of, but we didn't know it at the time. Um, but he talked to his sister and uh, said, you know, I don't think I'm coming back. I want you to know I love you. I mean, very much a goodbye phone call. And um, she called me. I called the chaplain. The chaplain called the unit. Um, they evaluated him and backed him out. So things were tough. And then when he got back in 2012, he completely withdrew from family, friends. He took a job in a um, a third shift job, he didn't so he didn't see anybody, and we were really worried about him. Um, but in the spring of 2013, he started connecting with a rugby team um, and was playing rugby, and he was really enjoying it. And we all thought that was a good thing for him because we didn't know about CTE. Um, we thought the rugby was. He was involved with a bunch of guys. He looked like things maybe were turning the corner for, from um, where he was. And, in fact, on Labor Day weekend of 2013, he called me up for the first time in a long time and said, hey, why don't you come and watch my rugby game? 
and we had a lovely day, and then we went to the state fair together on Labor Day and had a lovely day and um, had dinner. We had a long talk, and I was so hopeful that things were turning the corner for him. And then on September 21st, 2013, he was in a rugby game, beautiful day, and in a very um, uneventful tackle, he just never came up and ended up in the hospital. Um, And that whole series of events was very perplexing to everyone because it made no sense Uh, because, of course, nobody was acknowledging that he had uh, prior brain injuries. Isn't that uh, just unreal? I mean, so Eric uh had shared a little bit of the story with me um, prior Uh to chatting with you, and I just, like, my jaw just dropped. (laughs) I was just like, Mm -hmm. how did it not even – he's a vet. How did it not occur to them that he may have had – a brain injury. I mean, it's well, just, yeah. it's so, and, and that's why I'm so glad we're talking about this, you know? And I mean, when there is this really big question mark of why isn't this patient, you know, why, why are they reacting to this? And, um, you know, I hope that this helps everyone understand. Exactly. And, you know, that, that was the whole question when he first went in the hospital, he was unconscious. And, you know, it, the neurologist that I spoke to, you know, within a couple of hours of the accident um, said, we don't know why he's still unconscious, but he'll wake up in a few hours. You know, sometimes these things happen. You know, guys get knocked on the head, they go unconscious. But it'll be a couple hours. But every turn in that recovery process, was not what anybody expected, and it went on and on. He ended up, he was in a coma for a good two months and eventually ended up in the Minneapolis VA polytrauma unit um, for uh, as he was emerging from the coma. And through the emerging process, I see a lot of the things that, the, that I now know are CTE, but we didn't know them at at the time, and people were just perplexed. But the answer I always got when I asked, could it be things that happened in the military? Could it be a brain injury? Um, the response I got was, he was evaluated, he didn't have a brain injury. You know, and I'm like, well, uh, you know, the blast, how about the blast? Nope. Even though he was exposed to them, you know. It was it was very frustrating at the time. And as an educator, uh, you know, I heard your bio. And as an educator, my goal working with individuals with disabilities was always to ferret out um, a good solution. And I knew that brain injury is devastating, but you can do workarounds with a brain injury, and you can rewire the brain, but not if the brain is dying. Yeah, you can't rewire something that is dying. And did the, and that go ahead. Did the doctors at any point 
to understand, and maybe you're getting there, maybe I'm ahead of your story, but did the doctors like ever start to like, oh, well, maybe he did suffer a brain injury, at least in this hit in his rugby game. I mean, did they ever start coming to that conclusion? Oh, for sure. Yes. I mean, for sure. He had a, um, he had a brain injury from the rugby accident for sure, but it's a different, it was a, um, an impact injury. Okay, and there's a difference between the the CTE development from what I understand now. I didn't know it at the time, but um, an impact injury, even the research shows that when you have an impact injury, it is going to impact um, a portion of your brain. And that's why many people who have an impact injury um, can learn to compensate and overcome and function. I mean, you had an impact injury, Amy, I'm sure. Right. right? You know, um, so you're able to compensate around that. And certainly when Kevin had the rugby injury, that's what I thought we were dealing with was an impact injury. And I think they all thought we were dealing with an impact injury um, and only an impact injury. And then the, the behavioral and the, the anxiety, the suicidal ideation, because he still had those things even after the rugby injury. And he had the um, clinical symptoms that are described with CTE, which, you know, the, which are um, behavioral outbursts and, and uh, um, aggression. He had those things. He had them before the rugby injury. He had them after the rugby injury. But um, they were connected to the CTE as we found out after the fact. So he was very complicated. Right. Um, plus, plus the other thing that I know now that I didn't know at the time is um, the, the rugby injury, the impact injury, because the neurons uh, and axons of his brain were already compromised just acted like an accelerant, you know, like damaging gasoline on fire. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, the lesson that I learned from that whole thing was, yes, he had a rugby accident. Um, the analogy is this, you know, if a person has epilepsy and seizures and they're in a car accident the epilepsy doesn't go away. It's still there. Mm-hmm. And now they're dealing with the epilepsy on top of whatever happened with the car accident. And so in Kevin's case, he was dealing with CTE. We didn't know it. And then he had a rugby accident. And now he's dealing with an impact injury on top of CTE. That just had to have been... I just can't imagine how challenging it was for you and your family and for Kevin, um, you know, going through this, not, not understanding, you know, why is this so bad? Why is this somewhat simple tackle, you know, this average everyday tackle? Why, why was this so bad? Why is he having such severe symptoms? And, you know, to just, and having been told, cause you know, we've been, we've been led to trust, our doctors, you know what I mean? Just right. blindly trust them. And when they're telling you, no, you don't have a brain injury, you don't have PTSD, you know, we're 
believing them for the most part, you know, I mean, at some point you start to kind of question them, but you know, we've just been so conditioned to believe them. And, you know, I know for me, I kept being told, I was never really told that I didn't have a brain injury, but I was told, you know, well, you should be better by now, or this is the best you're going to get, or there's nothing we can do for you. And, and, you know, and now knowing what I do know, it's just like, wow, you know, if we don't continue to advocate for ourselves or our loved ones, they definitely can get lost in the shuffle. Um, And, you know, it's just, and, and especially veterans, I feel like, you know, they're already dealing with things beyond our comprehension, right? They've, they've likely sure. seen and done things we'll never know, we'll never understand. And, you know, For then sure. you add on top of that, if they've been in a blast, you know, those blast injuries we're learning are just so, they're just so devastating on our brains. Um, and it's just, it makes me so sad. And it, But yet at the same time, it makes me so happy to see people like you doing what you're doing and, and shedding light on this. So, well, yeah, thanks. I was just going to say, so, you know, if you want to continue, um, you know, where, how, where has everything gone? How, how did he, you know, how did he eventually come to pass and, and what, where else have sure. you gone on this journey? So, you know, I, I operated, um, based on my knowledge and um, my research, because I researched all along, um, and I was following the CTE information because as things happened, uh, that research started coming out approximately the same time he had the rugby accident. Is when you know the the first things, the first. Uh, CTE information that I saw was dated in 2012, about the time he got out of the military. And um, as I was watching all of those things, I did keep asking questions, and I kept designing things to help him um, compensate for an impact injury. And uh, like designing activities and working with rehab specialists and uh, things like um, he was always very musical, and, you know, as an educator, I know that you can relearn things through music, how kids learn by the ABCs by singing them. So, you know, when he was having trouble remembering what day of the year or what year it was even, um, you know, I, we created little songs and ditties so that once you started the song, he could associate it. So we did a lot of educational kinds of things because I thought we were dealing with an impact injury, and... In fact, for a while, things looked like those compensation strategies were going to help. But about um, July of 2016, things started deteriorating for him again. Uh, And probably if I look back into it, the whole from like 2015 until he passed in 2017, he started having some... um, setbacks. And the setbacks, people would, when I'd ask, how, the best practices says, like you said, Amy, um, you know, after two years, this is what you, what you have is what you have. It's not going to get much worse, but it's not going to get any better. That's what I heard. And I read those, um, you know, working with people with brain injuries 
in detail because I'm a teacher and, you know, I have notebooks highlighted and all marked up because I was trying to use the best knowledge I had available to help my son have the best possible outcomes, even though it was very devastating. And um, things were slipping. And I was with him almost every day. So my family members would say, "Mm, he doesn't look as good. Or people who only saw him once a month would say, "Mm, something's happening. And I was like, well, you know, they say it's not, it's been two years. They say it's not going to get much worse. So, you know, how does that happen? But in July, things started, um, he started really slipping and he uh, wasn't able to eat. He started having more and more severe symptoms. His swallowing, which is another sign of advanced um, CTE, his his ability to swallow started becoming impaired. Um, He became very despondent, very uh, withdrawing more, more aggressive, and unable to walk, and his life was frustrating. And the explanation was he is demonstrating behavioral symptoms. They are not related to any neurological deficit. Or, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. And so and he is choosing not to eat. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry and, you went through this. Yeah, and so, you know, I was like, I begged the VA to do neurological testing because I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. It is not behavioral. It is either biological or neurological. And um, it took months, literally months, to get the approval to have him put through a series of neurological tests. The response I got was, well, you know, he has a brain injury. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure I do know that. It's not responding in the way that everybody says an impact injury should respond. So something's wrong. And so um, I finally, a, a situation happened, and, uh, and um, he was at a, a facility in Illinois at this time, and um, I got called and I said, we need to do something. And the, the VA facility in Illinois contacted Minneapolis, and we ended up having him um, uh, air ambulanced from Illinois back to the Minneapolis VA, where I begged to have a full evaluation, which takes about two weeks, and uh, I was given the evaluation. And on December 23rd in 2016, um, I was told that uh, his brain had lost significant mass and there was uh, much deterioration and they went over the results with me and I said, so what does that mean? And they said, there's nothing we can do for him. And uh, the only way he would survive is if he was on a feeding tube and our family met, and Kevin was aware. I had a conversation with him, and as a family, we determined that he would go into hospice care, which he spent then 
from that point until he passed away on January 15th in the hospice unit at the Minneapolis VA, and that was the end of his life. Wow. And then you had his brain autopsied, correct? Yes, and and here's the thing. He, um, all along, from the time he was in school, from the time he got his driver's license, I suppose, he wanted to be a brain donor, or not a brain donor, organ donor. And um, he was very emphatic that when he passed, that his organs would be donated. And so, you know, once we um, got through kind of the shock of he's in hospice and he's not going to make it, I started asking about the organ donations because I was like, you know, he's a, he was a healthy, I mean, he was in incredibly fit shape because his source of relief for, for anxiety and um, when life became difficult was to exercise. So actually when he had the rugby accident, he was training for an Ironman. So he was probably in tip-top physical condition compared to many of us, you know. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, he, he was in great physical shape. As someone said to me, oh, so it's just his brain. And I was like, yeah, well, I think that's pretty important. Um, but anyway, uh, when you're in hot. When you're in hospice care, apparently your organs aren't suitable for um, transplant, probably because of all the medications. I'm not exactly sure what the whole rationale is behind that, but we were like, you're kidding. You can't take one of his organs. That's his dying wishes to be an uh, organ donor. And it was like, nope, his organs are not, a, uh, would not, are not acceptable for donation. And I said, well, then... We're donating his brain. So I asked him about it, and he's like, donate my brain. And I said, okay. Um, so I asked the people at the hospice unit, the, the staff there, um, to help me with the brain donation. And unbelievably, nobody had any idea where, they, where one would do that. And I was like, well, Boston University, the VA Boston University um, is doing research they're taking brains and so um during the his final three weeks of life um the the va staff at the hospice unit helped me connect with the boston university and i did the paperwork and we got everything set up so that uh when he passed his brain would be donated and i have to say watching the 60 minute segment when they go into the, the the brain bank, the the freezer full of brains, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, wow. I, I mean, yeah, on the one the hand, it's like time. super cool. <laughs> it was cool, but I had not seen his actual brain tissue results because um, I didn't really want to see it. So I saw them for the first time on the the sixty minutes episode oh, wow. too, and it was. It was uh, heart-wrenching. Yeah, I'm sure that was very emotional for you to watch that. But what has come of all this, you know, you you donated his brain, and you have started the Kevin Ash Foundation. Well, it's not actually a foundation. It's a legacy. We do not have a family foundation, but what we do is is we're – our choice as a family was to do a legacy, which means I work with other foundations that currently exist. And all I ask, you know, is 
that it's the Kevin Ash legacy. And so um, the, the Concussion Legacy Foundation uses that terminology and other organizations that I've been connecting with use the Kevin Ash legacy because his legacy is in information and awareness and hopefully um, the ability uh, so that we have more people who are willing to donate their brains so that we can get better information and ultimately find a way to, to prevent this kind of disease and to stop it when it has started and for sure to have some more effective treatments and not just, I'm sorry, your brain is dying, you will die. Yeah. Yeah. And I signed up, oh gosh, I'd say at least a year ago, I am a donor on the Concussion Legacy Foundation on their website. Um, So I got my little kit in the mail with my card and, you know, I've let my family, because the important part is you have to let your family know (laughs) that this is your wish. Right. Um, Right. So that they're able to make, to to do the connection um, when the time comes. But I do, I feel it's really important. You know, my, my injury was you know, a simple, simple fall on the ice. You know, I'm just an average person. I'm not, you know, an NFL player or a veteran, but I think that there's a lot to be learned from all of our brains and finding, finding those connections. And I think that will lead to discoveries. Um, And that's, that's just so important. Yes. So, so this is his legacy is the opportunity for his story to to get out and for people to understand that, um, you know, information is power. And we, I believe that we can find a way so more people don't have to go through this, this horrible experience. Absolutely. Well, Joy, thank you so much for sharing your story, for being here today, for being part of the 60 minute segment. I mean, just, it's just so amazing. The things that will become, will, will come because of this. Um, And I know that his legacy is, you know, it, it's living on. And um, I'm, I'm just so proud that you're doing this for his name. And I know that he is smiling down right now. He's proud. So (laughs) Thank <laughs> Sorry, you. if that was a little too emotional, I'm in a little teary-eyed here. Um, but thank well, you so, so much. So thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much uh, for sharing. Okay. And I, I just know that this story, um, you know, I, I, people, everyone listening, you know, is at a different stage, whether they're a survivor or a caregiver or a loved one or a healthcare provider. Um, I know that everyone will gain some insight because of, of this story today. So thank you so much, Joy. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Bye. And thank you everyone for listening. I, I really, I, you know, the story is just, I'm sorry, I'm a little emotional right now. Um, but the story is just, it's so powerful and, you know, our veterans are coming back, um, with more challenges than I think that, that we're aware of. So, um, you know, check out the concussion legacy foundation. Um, they have a lot of great information on their website and, um, 
Yeah. So just thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And as always, you can find previous episodes at facesoftbi.com and just click on the podcast series link. And another thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. So thank you all for listening and thank you for being part of my journey. I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.